Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is Lori Allred. Uh, Lori, I first met on Clubhouse. Uh, she is a caretaker. You know, as Mitchell Rogers says, go out and uh, look for the people who are doing kind things in the world. And and, and there you'll find uh, where to go next. I mean, there's always somebody out there doing kind things. And Lori takes people into her life, young women, um, through the foster care system and and raises them up. Um, and I, and I watched her journey, uh, as she was sharing her gratitude for these young women. And, and then some of these young girls would actually come on and share their gratitude also, which was really awesome. Um, what's interesting is, is watching somebody pour themselves into others and, and just really enjoy it. Um, and, and foster care in our country is a, uh, it's there are a lot less people doing care than are needed. Uh, I mean, and that's, that's an understatement, I believe. Um, there are a lot of numbers that come from the foster care system and it takes special people. And I've met a few in my life who can take on other people's children's children and bring them up in the world. So Lori, this is where I'm really most interested in is, is how did you get into the foster care being a caretaker um, I was a foster child. At 14, I was taken away from my mom mm -hmm. and placed in foster care, which saved my life. Um, it took me out of a very dysfunctional environment with my mother. Um, my father had left and remarried, and these people saved my life. They treated me like, well, I didn't know what it was like to have people who cared even after you made a mistake, mm -hmm. and they taught me that. And their names were Nolan and Louise Meekham. And we were in Price, Utah. Mm -hmm. I lived in a group home. I had 23 housemates. Oh, <laughs> and I now I think about that, and that's insane. But it was a big, big older home with several bedrooms. And uh, us girls had, we had, we made family. Um, I'm one of the few of them from that generation that was in the group home at the time. I was there two years that is still alive. Um, my best friend, Loretta, died quite young. Um, Trish died, Sharon died, because of health issues. Um, none of us ever had a permanent home except for that home. But what Louise and Nolan taught us and what they gave us was the sense that, one, we had value. I can tell you that lady, she was only five feet and I'm 5'5", five, five, and I was already 5'5 five, five at that point. And she'd put her hands on her hips and say, Miss Laurie, the buck stops here, and that means you. And I've used that many a time with many a kid. Um, her husband was blind. His name was Nolan. And Nolan had this innate sense. He knew which one of us was messing up. And he could always catch you. And um, I remember sneaking in one night and him coming right behind me and going, boo. You're in trouble, young lady. Go to your room. You're grounded. And I'm so grateful for those years because they taught me how to parent. Um, I myself have 13 children, five of which are mine by body. The rest are adopted through love. Some of them came out of the foster system. So I got into foster care, one, because I, my life was saved, and two, because my husband had lost his job and I needed a way to support my children. 
and something that would be steady because even at that point, I still had some kids. I think I had four at home, five. I had five at home at that point. And my friend um, called me up and said, hey, um, I think you'd be a great foster mom. Let's introduce you to this this person and let's get you in the process. And it, it did support my family while my kids grew up. Over the years, I've had 102 kids and I've gotten some beautiful and some horrible stories. Um, one of my favorites is one that I adopted. He, he, I don't want to use his name, so I'll just call him Mr. H. Okay. Mr. H walked into my home. We were having a party. Foster kids do not get regular life. But I always tried to give them regular life because Nolan and Weeze gave us regular life. So we had a party to carve pumpkins. My friend grew the pumpkins and donated them for me. I put on hot dogs and hamburgers and we made a barbecue. And, and Mr. H walked into my home and on my table was candies, different candies. And I had this big silver bowl full of those mini um, Tootsie Rolls. Uh-huh. And that little brat sat down and ate the whole bowl, ate the whole bowl. These kids, oh, some homes lock up the food. Some homes deny the amount of food they can have. They give them one meal and stuff like that. Um, in my home, food flowed and kids knew it. So he's sitting on the couch and I turned to my boss because they had to be their supervisor if I had extra kids. And my boss said, what are you thinking about that? When I said, you need to give him to me. No, you do girls. And in the state of Utah, you can't do boys and girls at that point. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him, I said, no, that's my kid. I meant to have him. And my ex did this favor for me, went to court with this boy the next time he went to court. And his caseworker decided he was a bad kid. So she put him in for O&A, which is observation and assessment, because she mixed his case up with another kid and accused him of being verbally aggressive towards her. Now, this kid was not verbally aggressive. The worst thing you've ever said to me is, you're a stupid white woman because he was black. Uh, yeah. And I'd say back, you're just a zebra because he was half black, half white. And we'd fall together laughing. This kid was a gangbanging, foul-mouthed, drug-taking kid. I will tell you that this boy has been the joy of my life. His smile makes me happy to this day. He's a college graduate, graduated with honors and a scholarship and went off to college and got his um, bachelor's degree. Happily married, lives in Seattle. And he and his wife run an organization called Slut Walk. It's about respect for a woman, no matter how she's dressed or how she acts. No touching, no violence. That's Henry. Sorry. I did say his name. Um, That's his way (laughs) of standing up against the violence he witnessed as a child. By all intents and purposes, this kid should be dead, but he's not. And he's not because I was crazy, stupid, in love with him. (laughs) Catch him doing bad things. And more when a foster kid messes up, caseworker moves him that quick. I believed in permanency and consistency. So I'd keep kids long after they'd messed up. And some of them kids, one of them being Mr. H, became mine. I never got to legally adopt him, but he is part of our family. 
and he's legend. There are great stories about him trying to drive my his oldest brother's car, mm-hmm. and he'd never driven. And Josh challenged him. Josh is my firstborn, and he challenged him. Henry, I'll bet you could drive that car. And he went out and tried. Oh, and nice. we lived on a street that it was very busy, and he backed that car out and then pulled it right back in because another car was behind him and scared him. And he'd come in and say, Ma, I don't think I'll ever drive. <laughs> well, no. for years, he drove Uber. So he got over things. He's drug-free. He makes music. He, um, he'll call me up and say, Ma, I just need to come home and need a heart hug. Mm. And I, I'm really proud of who this young man turned out to be. And all it was is this crazy woman loved him. That's all any foster kid needs is to be loved as yeah. they are, who they are. Meet them where they are. And uh, then there's Miss Kay. Miss Kay, I did legally adopt. She came to me at 13. Itty bitty thing, barely five feet. She is part um, India Indian. Mm-hmm. And the other part is uh, Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. She's got beautiful olive skin and this black hair that is fabulous. Always wanted it. Um, and I got the unfortunate. I don't want to say I got the privilege. I got the right to give this kid a life. Um, this kid had been used for pornography by her own mother and stepfather. Mm. She is a mother of two today in a happy, committed relationship. And those babies are being raised safe. And they're grandma's joy because I get to see them all the time. It was tough. I had to get her off of drugs. I had to teach her her value. I had to fight with her. Um, she, um, She has quite the temper and so do I. So we were a good match. And I remember one time when we were getting ready for the adoption, her mother got 35 years and would not relinquish her rights. So when this child turned 18, we went to court and got her adopted. But she chose to keep her last name. And I, at first, I was a little sad. And then I realized she could be whatever she wanted. All I wanted was her to know she had a mother that would not give up on her. And I never have. And she also brings me joy. Not just the baby that she came home with at 16 in her tummy, but the other baby that she's created with this man she's with and the home she creates and her smile. Because when she came to my home, Gary, I looked at her and there was nothing but broken there. She ain't broken no more. And not because I'm perfect, because I wasn't a perfect mother. I was a far from perfect mother, but because I had love and I wanted the world for her to be a better place and it is and on the other side of it her mother's out she has a relationship with her and I stay out of it because it's important for these kids to be able to mend these fences doesn't matter what's done to you what you do about it that counts it truly is what you do about it and this girl went to therapy and then her mother reached out and wanted to do therapy and she called me and she said you're going to feel betrayed no no, because I know what my purpose was for you. And she says, yeah, and you'll always be my mama. And I am. I'm her mama. Yeah. Um, of the 102 I've had, some of these kids were gangs. Henry was in a gang. 
so was another girl I had because they let me, the judge let me have boys and girls before they changed the rules. Now they can do it. But back then they couldn't. Um, that was in the late nineties. And, um, I got these two and he's a crypt and she's a blood. So guess what happened to my house? Oh, I had goodness. a drive by, but I had a Are friend who had in Salt Lake city I'm in Riverton, Utah. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we had to replace the siding. One of the bullets came all the way in. Fortunately, we were not home because Henry was in a play and we were at that play. Mm. And that girl was with us. That girl is happily married. She has five beautiful children and a, oh, her husband, man, he's fine. And she lives here in Utah and I see her every so often. He was military and the years in the military changed her. Yeah. And she had an open adoption with the baby she had when she was with me. Because I went through a stage where I took mothers with babies because I hated the way they were treated. And I want them to, if they're going to keep the kid, then somebody give them backup so they can have a life. Right. And this one, she chose to adopt her baby out because he was fathered by a gangbanger. Mm. And he wouldn't, the judge said he'll never stop because he tried to take the baby. Several things happened with her. Yeah. And that's why they put her from her town, northern Utah, down to Riverton, hoping that would, and they found her and they were the ones that drove by and shot the house. Jeez. After that, we had to move her, but I never lost track of her. And I saw her last year at a soccer game. Her kid's out there playing. And I turned to my daughter-in-law. Her name is Apri. And I looked at her. I said, Apri, that kid looks. And she says, that's Erica's kid. That's Erica's kid. Mm -hmm. So life changes for these kids if you just love them. Yeah, they're going to screw up. But what kid doesn't? What teenager never makes a mistake? And I'm sorry, if you're that mother or father who believes your kid is perfect, well, you better go look in their closet or something because kids have to learn by choosing. And sometimes that looks like a mistake. Um, I don't think any of the kids I have feel like life is a mistake. I have now retired from DCFS kids because I'm getting up there in age. I still have a DSPD, which is a handicapped child. Uh-huh. But my last child that I had, in comparison to the first one that I had, mm -hmm. she's a miracle. Yeah. She never did drugs. She never got involved with the gang. She wouldn't even date for a while. Um, when she did start dating, she took my advice and listened. She's graduated from high school. When I got her, she had eight credits. I only had her a year and a half. She graduated early. She has two part-time, she has a full-time and a part-time job, and she lives on her own now. Wow. And we go see her on Sundays because she doesn't get along with her family. She sees her siblings, but not her mother. And we'll go out to movies and stuff. And Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, I hear from that kid. Mm -hmm. And last time I saw her, we went out and got our toes done together, the three of us, the handicapped girl and me and her. And I'm very proud of what she's chosen because all I did was provide an environment and love her. That's all you ever do when you love your kids. And I never saw them as any different than my own. In my own adopted kids, some of them I got before I was able to have children because I was mm -hmm. infertile for many years. 
And I got them because sadly their mother took her life. Mm. And they were 10 and 12. Mm -hmm. I have a great relationship with my son, Matt. He is a fine man. Mm -hmm. My daughter and I did not work it out so well because she blamed me for her mother's death. Mm. Because she had to blame somebody. Mm. She couldn't deal with it. She's now a street preacher, a mother of five, and she's doing okay. She's very much born-again Christian, and I'm proud of who she's become. Yeah. She lives up in Montana, and she'll text me, Mom, I need the recipe for this. I need this. Mom, what would you do with the smart-mouthed teenager? Put your arms around him. I should have done that more with you. I learned from her because I wasn't a good and calm mother with her, mm. and I can admit that, but I am proud of who she is today. And I'm proud that we are forging a relationship that is about our appreciation of faith in God. Mm -hmm. We don't see it the same, but we're okay with that. Yeah. Then there are the few boys I had. I had one family. Their names were Mario and Jesse. They've been changed because they got adopted. There were eight of them. And I had the two boys, the two oldest. They're now college graduates. They all got adopted in one family because we worked together with their caseworker to find a family that wouldn't split them up. Mm. You'll hear story after story of how they lost their siblings in foster care. Yeah. And we made sure these eight kids got together. Well, half of them had fetal alcohol, including the two I had, which yeah. gives them behavior parole and thinking abilities and stuff. But they're graduates from high from college. Both of them have college degrees. So which is phenomenal. So sounds to me like you're beating the odds, you know? I mean, what I, my understanding <laughs> is that a huge amount of our homeless, can you hear me? A huge amount of our homeless population are people from the foster care system because yes. there really is no yes. safety net after family and you know, we take for granted that, you know, you can, there's, whether you had a great household or not, there's still a household there with people who, you know, you can connect up with that is family, that is yeah. some sort of root. Um, but within the foster care, you get moved and moved and moved and displaced and displaced and displaced. You start distrust uh, any attachments. So you have real yeah. attachment disorders. Um, and so, Society, in order to actually operate effectively in society, you have to attach to something. You have to become a member of a team at work or whatever. And so yes. foster kids make up a good portion of our homeless population, is my understanding. You are absolutely right. I would say 98% have been what? fosters. Yeah. Of, of At least here in Utah. People that you see out on the street are foster mm -hmm. care in Utah. They're, they're from the system. Yes. yes. The system has because nothing see, for you after 18. Well, they have a few what I call band-aids. For instance, a kid turns 18, like my one that I just put in her own place. And, and normally, okay, you're 18, the judge cuts you loose, and you're on your own. If uh -huh. you don't have a job in a savings account or aren't enrolled in college and have some kind of funding... Mm -hmm. you have nothing right now some caseworkers they do that they just boot them they're yeah. done they, they shut it off but there is some aftercare they will help them with a couple emergencies they give them a, a kit of things for their house um they um 
sometimes they will match $500 towards a car. You make 500, they'll give you 500, but that's it. They have no more therapy. They have Medicaid. I mean, Medicaid stays with them till they're 26 because of the law that Clinton passed. Okay, cool. Yes. But it doesn't cover therapy anymore. And they don't, so they don't really have support. And it cuts off some of the services that um, it's more like people who are on other services, like food stamps and stuff. It's like that, where foster care, Medicare, pays, Medicaid pays everything. But then they cut it off when the kids go. The other thing that happens is they can't often hold a job. They'll get a job, but their skills are not always good. So they give them these classes and try and teach them. But no, they need a boss that will work with them and understand that the kid has some issues and might not understand authority or respect authority Mm -hmm. and be a little gentle and teach them. Yeah. Because I watched, I've had four transgender kids, Gary, four. Okay. I will tell you that only one of them do I feel like is making a success of his life. Mm-hmm. He's owns a home. He just bought a new car. He sent me pictures. He owns a home in Illinois. He left Utah because of the new laws. And he was able to buy a home and has a car and a partner, and they're doing very well. But I've so stayed with him. He repre- he represents as he? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. So and we went through his transition together. He became one of my boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they started passing those laws, I got scared. Because people use hate for the wrong reasons. This child is a delight. And if he makes a decision about his life and his body, we should respect it because no matter what you tell me, ain't nobody there with him in the dark. There ain't. And there wasn't. There was me and my children because they embraced him. And I'm grateful for how my children are that way, my own children. Um, so he's just our, our boy. And... But he's a success. Now, the other three, no, not a success. Two of them I know are on the streets. Um, life. I mean, it's hard to get acceptance anywhere. No, no. And, you know, my door is always open. I, they have rules. When the kids leave, you know, I'm not supposed to bring them back, et cetera. But I brought back about six of the kids that have come back and helped others get into places and things. Because who's their family? Where's right. their family? They have none. Right. And on and my they, own, you know, you I can have... always roll over, like just you know, a week or two till you get something figured out with family. But if you got nothing, right. there's there's no place to go from there. Right? No. So I have a couch and I have cots, and they get set up and they get brought home sometimes. And I've had to have arguments with bosses. <laughs> because they've told me, well, you can't do that. Well, it's my home, and I will do as I please. And the law says I can have a guest for 10 days. So their 10 days will start here. Yeah. And my boss loved me. <laughs> and he understood that I love the kids. He's retired now, and I have a new boss. And I haven't had to do that with him yet. So but you I would you're, you're just doing handy handicapped care now, people with disabilities. Yeah. 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 
Okay. Yeah. And she's intellectually handicapped, plus she has an incurable disease, and she's full-time because of her disease now. Yeah. But I still would bring my other kids home. Sure. I, if they need me, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, because they got to have something. And I see all these commercials on there that talk about Utah's doing some really cool ones about adopt a teen. It's worth it. I, I would get on that commercial and plug. It's worth it. Every kid I've adopted has been a teen. So they're um, actually doing an ad campaign to get people involved. Yes. And it's for adopting foster kids. Yeah. It's really a cool campaign. Because for a while there, they had all those ugly ones about foster care is bad. And yes, I agree. But isn't anything. There can be bad apples in any bunch. You know, there there's, those of us. there's a lot of good families in Utah that would really, you know, my, my senior year, I, I was, I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a tool, you know, I was a, I was a bit of a tool as a kid, you know? So, <laughs> uh, my senior year, I went and lived with, with family in Provo, uh, not in the, on a traditional foster care side, but just, you know, a place yeah. other than home where a family took me in and gave me different skills and mindset and ways of looking at life. And, you know, it was, it was a wonderful experience. Um, you know, and it was, there was love there, Dan and Pat, they loved me and they took care of me. And, you know, it was Provo. Uh, so, you know, my <laughs> friends are all like college bound and their parents are professors and such. And, at the university and it's just like, or their students at the university. So the whole educational reality was high and it was just like a whole new life for me. It really opened me up. And so, you know, I, sometimes parents just can't do it. My mom was a single mom and, you know, I just wasn't having it. We had different ideas about things. And so I ran away a few times and finally these people took me in and, uh, and it was a one of the better years of my life. It really transformed me in a lot of ways. So, you know, I, I really respect that people do help others out, you know. I was Mormon back yes. then. I'm, I'm not Mormon now, but uh, I was back then, you know. And uh, it was wonderful. And Mormon people are amazing. So that's what I'm thinking. I mean, Utah, you would think that there would be a lot of people who could really you know, take care of kids. I mean, it wasn't uncommon to see a family of 13 in Utah. You, you know, it's been interesting because I was looking at the statistics a while back. Um, like I said, my boss retired uh-huh. and he closed the agency that I have worked for forever. And I went to a new one. And when we, when I was working in the original agency, we had many different backgrounds three families that were lds were doing it for that reason because their belief was service and uh one of them one of the biggest difficulties for a caregiver in in foster care is that you have to have somebody trained to watch your kids and their rules depending on their behavior and their level of of trust they've earned you have to have a caregiver you have to pay somebody to come in even with the 17 year old, you have to do this, right? So my friend, Trudy, she got involved at the agency because she knew me 
and her daughter and my daughter, both named Kelsey, um, were really good friends, and Trudy got involved, and she did care for many, many years, and we'd trade respite. I'd send my kid to her for a, when I wanted to go out. Mm-hmm. She'd bring her boys to me because she did boys. Um, and she truly did it out of the love of her heart. She retired about five years ago, and I miss her, but they moved away to Idaho um, to be near their oldest daughter, and that's where Trudy grew up. So, yes, a lot of the Mormons do come and do it, um, and sadly, some of these kids that I've had have come from Mormon homes because no home is perfect, Right. right. and there are difficulties. It's been interesting. I've even had, I had a kid, a girl from Iraq. Mm -hmm. She was taken away from her family because she kissed a boy at school. She's a high school girl. She was 16. I had her 17th birthday with me. And they decided they were going to, they were going to put her to death. So the state, she said something. She went to school. This kid was bold. She went to school and she told her best friend. Her best friend was an American girl and the best friend knew she wouldn't go tell the counselor. So she marched down the office and got her friend put in care. And I had her for a year. She's in college now. She got adopted and she's she showed up on my door because when she left, we'd had a disagreement and she called her case and said, get me out of here. So case removed her. Showed up on my door a year later and she said, I just want to apologize and tell you that This was the best home I was ever in. Now, my home isn't special. My home is love. And it's not perfect love. But this kid, she's going to be okay. And the odds against her being alive, because if her father or brother had found her, she'd be dead. They'd have killed her just for kissing a boy because of their belief. And I respect their belief, but it's against the law to kill. You can't do that anywhere and just get away with it. And that's what they would have done to her. But she's a, she's in college now and adopted and happy. Wow. That's amazing. Wait, One so of my experiences with foster care is the system, you know? Yeah. You don't it's always know to navigate, how it? to deal with the justice. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. It's hard to navigate. Sometimes it's working out in your favor. And you, when you look back at... Oh yeah. Laws in retrospect, you go, uh, yeah, that's why that exists. You know, it's it's funny. People say, well, we have mm-hmm. too many laws, and it's like, well, laws don't just come about. Uh, there typically needs to be a reason for it. Now, some laws do just come about, but um, most of them, it's because there's a compelling reason to maintain order of some sort and maintain some sort of control, or you know, that's right. why laws come about. And and I, you know, managing homes uh with standards and practices across multiple platforms of belief systems i mean you've got every home is going to have a completely different belief system and you're going to try to adhere some of your basic understanding as as an own organization as the foster care system these are the rules yeah um because there's there's so much vulnerability there and, you know, that's the thing about the whole thing is how do you know who you're bringing into the system is actually trustworthy? You know, imagine they yes. vetting, but how I imagine they're, they're still even after vetting. I know there's still issues, lots of issues with caregivers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 
because they're so needed, parents, good parents are needed, good homes, safe homes are so needed, they often, some people I've seen slipped under the wire because they were totally different in the process. No, they weren't criminals, but they didn't understand necessarily that you don't touch the kid, which is a very needed law, but it also takes away the ability to hug. But you can get around it if you get the permission of the caseworker. I learned that one. But we had some foster parents that were in the agency that been with us for years, and we considered them good parents. I I loved my kids to go to respite to them until I found out that they were leaving at night and leaving the kids alone overnight, um, which you can't do that. You can't do that because what if there was a fire or any kind of emergency? Um, but that's not because these people were bad people. It's because they were exhausted because there isn't a not enough backup. Yeah. And when you're a good foster parent, I could empty a bed, Gary, in the morning and by noon that day have another kid. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes not a selection process. I remember the first um, the first openly gay child that I got. Mm-hmm. She was a beautiful thing. And she'd come to me and she'd been six months in this home and they were so filthy, she had lice. Mm-hmm. And caseworker doesn't tell me. So, okay, a couple of days later, I discovered that there is something there going on and we go through the whole treatment and the laundromat and everything and we got rid of it. And that kid stayed with me two years. She graduated high school. She never had problems with cleanliness. That wasn't it. It was the foster home. Mm-hmm. They weren't clean. Right. And I'm like, uh, did, how could that happen? Well, it does. But this kid came into our life and you know, they sent her home. The judge, I argued with the judge. I, I'm known for that. I argued with the judge and said, I don't think the dad's been clean long enough that she's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Don't send her home. He did. Uh-oh. She ended up on the streets. We did find her and get her back in treatment. But I need to check up where she's at. But sometimes you have no power. Because the judge decides, or the caseworker, or the guardian ad litem. And I wish the system would talk, really let the kid have a choice in some things. Because this kid didn't want to go home. Mm-hmm. And she was drug-free. She'd been drug-free five years. Wow. Meth is hard to overcome. Five years without meth is good. But it didn't stay because yeah. they sent her home. Um, that's the system, though. Uh, you have not a lot of power. All you can do is what you can here in your space and with the rules that you're given. Um, I've lost two of my kids to suicide. It still hurts. Because the system failed them. One of them, she was a delightful girl. And my kids all loved and adored her. The state told her her mother was dead, wasn't the case. And while she was in my home, she got in contact with her sibling um, because they'd split them up and the sibling said, no, mom's alive. So she ran away to be with mom, became a meth addict, had a baby with the bad man 
He harmed the baby. So they took the baby. And while she was in the process of doing what you have to do to get your child back, she met another man because that one went to prison for what he did to his daughter. And she conceived a set of twins. She bore them. And then they were six weeks and they found traces of meth on the babies. So they took them and she took her life. I would change her knowing about her mother if I could, but we choose in life. And this child, she was just one of those hard luck kids. I got her from a foster home that she literally, they locked the fridge. They denied her food. <laughs> and one of our favorite stories about this girl is that she, um, she took a while to adjust to the fact that food was free flowing. So I got a real good deal on hot dogs and I went and bought a bunch and then they're in the fridge. Got up in the morning, every one of those packages, 10 packages of hot dogs were gone. <laughs> now or later, she comes up the stairs, I'm sick. I need Pepto. I'm going to throw up. I ate all those hot dogs. Wow. <laughs> I got her medicine, not Pepto, because that's bad for teens. And we later took her to the doctor because she couldn't stop hurting, but she just overdone the hot dogs. Oh, man. This kid was delightful. She had a sense of humor. And she's not here today, and I do feel the system failed her. I do, but I don't know of any system that's perfect, Gary. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there is. I don't know that any system is perfect. She knew she was loved by us. She knew that. She knew my kids loved her. She knew when because she'd do the kid thing, run away and stuff. And my boys, they'd go find her because they were in high school with her and they knew. They knew her friends and they'd go track her down, bring her home. And then that last time she had arranged, I guess, a ride and went to another state. And that's where she found her mother. And, uh, it still hurts. She was best friend to my daughter-in-law, Free, who was one of them I adopted out of the system. And then <laughs> she got together with my son behind my back. My son was out of the home. They're two years apart, and they've got four beautiful children. And she's got a college degree, too. And they told me she'd never make it. Wow. They told wow. me all kinds of mental diagnosis about her. But none of them were right. She just needed love and acceptance and people to help her get the help she needed. Yeah. So when I think about those two girls, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to love on them. I think all of them, like all of the kids you brought up, owe a debt of gratitude to, what were their names, the Meekums? Nolan and Louise. Yeah, Nolan and Louise. Because yes. they taught you. I they agree. You. Yes, because I didn't live in the kind of home I created. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it was their love. Well, they, they also must have like had a think. sense of an ability to keep 24 people in line and go in the, you know, the right directions. You know, there had to be some sense of responsibilities that just automatically come with that. Oh yeah. That that you well, brought and forward. Because you can't run a house with a bunch of people 
everybody go in different directions. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Everybody needs to know what their tools are, what their spaces are, and you know what their job is. You know, I look back now, rolling. and at the most, at one point, I had six kids, six fosters. This is after my divorce, and it's just me doing foster care, and that was way too much. So I look back at Louise and I marvel, but you know, she had the system. She, we had chores and responsibilities. We had allowance and we had to be accountable for it. When we got in trouble, we had a rational consequence. Like me being late and then fibbing about it. I got grounded a lot. And when I was grounded, I got time with them. I actually started creating being grounded because I'd be home and the other girls all be gone and I'd get time with them. Um, the other thing she did was she expected us to be accountable for what our life was because mm -hmm. she's the one taught me. It's not what happened to you. It's what you do about it that matters. And, and Nolan, he just loved me. <laughs> Miss Laurie, he'd say and shake his head at me because he was blind. And he says, I know you're the ringleader. I know you're up to something. I'm going to catch you. Just watch. He always did. <laughs> and I have that same ability because it's about paying attention to their body language. You know, I've gone yeah. out in the middle of the night and pick up kids that have ran from other homes that used to be in mine. They had my number. I'd go get them and get them back to their caseworker. I've gone out in the middle of the night and taken a kid so drunk they couldn't. They had alcohol poison. Spent Christmas Day in the ER so this kid could be okay. Mm -hmm. Not because I'm special, but because I understand what it's like to be alone and feel like, who do I have? Mm -hmm. And I also know what it's like to be moved. I made a mistake in one of my homes, and I love this home, and I really love these parents. And they got rid of me. I confessed my mistake, <laughs> and they got rid of me. And they didn't yeah. even tell me the caseworker just came and picked me up. And I never did that to a kid. If I was letting him go, it had to be a dang good reason. It had to be three, four shots. And it had to be that they were going to a better place, Some a couple in some cases. Because some yeah. girls need more than just I could give them. They need a man and an example. Yeah. And so sometimes I'd even pick where the fosters would go because my agent, my boss, he trusted that I knew my kids mm -hmm. and that, that it's been a privilege as far as I'm concerned to do this. Um, in the years before I ever did foster care, I was being brought nieces and nephews and I babysat or I'd take them in. They'd have trouble with their parents. They were teenagers and I would take them in. And during these years of foster care, I started running a training program for teenagers. And I put those fosters that lived with me during those years that was about accountability and clarity of your life. Find mm -hmm. your purpose. Don't make it about the blame and shame. Be accountable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have many of those kids. I trained over 300. And I have many of them in my life. And they talk about how they'd come to my house and we'd have slumber parties and we'd celebrate. Well, none of those kids, Gary, ever acted up or ran off. And to my knowledge, there was never anything bad that went down. Maybe a couple of kisses, 
but that's teenagers. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta make allowance for that. A little bit. But I never had to get rid of a foster kid um, because they harmed my children. Because mm -hmm. they never did. They respected my children. I did have one try to kill me. <laughs> oh, and she, that poor thing, she, um, I had, I was ill and she was mad about something. I don't even remember what she's mad about. I can see her to this day. And she put a pillow over my face and tried to suffocate me. And the other foster stopped her. Um, and I was talking this morning to the lady who was the tracker for the other agency. Tracker's the person is supposed to back you up in the care of the kids, take them places, do things with them when you can't be there. Because when you got three or four, you can't be to three doctor appointments at once. Right. Although I got pretty creative. <laughs> but we were laughing about this girl. She said, she thought she was going to kill you. And I said, I think the girls beat her up. I said, because she never, never again. And I didn't get rid of her for that. Mm -hmm. The reason she left is because she started taking drugs from the med box. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't having that for any of the girls. Um, and she needed better care. But even that formed an opinion because she's so angry and no one listened. And apparently I didn't listen that she wanted to harm me. That's sad. It's not evil. None of these children are evil. I don't think anybody's really evil. They choose evil. They make evil acts. I don't believe anybody's really evil. And I look at some of these kids and I think I was lucky. I was lucky. Yeah. Um, we didn't have problems with theft, makeup, but girls do that. Yeah. Um, but not money. We didn't have them beating on each other. We didn't have them. They would try to steal each other's clothes, and I had a rule. If somebody stole your clothes, they had to give you their allowance next month to replace it. Oh, and goodness. that didn't happen but once. Okay. I, I have one that just got out of the hospital. She, she's she got five kids now, oh, um, and she's had breast cancer, oh. and she just went through her surgery, and she texted me and said, I'm okay, Mama. Do you want me to come sit? No, but when I'm home, will you come for a visit? Yeah. Bring me this. I love that food. Bring me this. I said, how about will the kids eat it? No, just make a little for me and make them this. Uh -huh. That's a connection. That's what I seek to do. If I could make the world a better place, no child would be hungry, beat, molested, or emotionally abused. And we wouldn't have the ugly world we do because no one would have reason to act out their trauma on each other. Yeah. Um, I feel like my life is not fancy, but it's been a good life. And those 13 children that are mine also have 102 siblings. Right. That they embrace. I have one girl that um, when they sent her to me, she had a baby, little boy. Oh, he's so cute. He is a doll. I and keep he up with all of them. My goodness. I do because yeah. they need a mama. Yeah. Everybody needs a mama. I, I, my mama was mentally ill. I didn't have a mama to go to. But I had Louise. Right. And she got Alzheimer's. 
And to the last week of her life, when I called the nursing home to talk to her, or if I went down, she came to for me. That's how much she loved me. That's beautiful. And her daughter was there one time because I made friends with the whole family. My mom wouldn't sever and let them adopt me. And that's okay now. But then I was mad. But the last time I saw her, her daughter was there and her daughter said to me, my mom really felt bad that she couldn't adopt you and make you ours. You need to stay in touch. Mm -hmm. And um, Louise has been gone 10 years and Nolan 15 now. If I go to Christ, because I have a foster down there, it's graduating this year and I'm going down to see her. Um, I go to the graveyard and pay respects because they changed my life. And because of them, these other kids have had their lives changed. Yeah. Not all of them turned out as I'd like, but all of them know I'm still here and there's a home. And they can reach out. I got one that's been moved to Arizona because she kept running away. I love that kid. We got along so well. We were two peas in a pod. She called me the other day. I'm coming to Utah and you're giving me a whole weekend. Oh, can I stay at the house? Yeah. Yeah, honey, you can stay at the house. So it's it's not, it's a labor of love, Gary. Well, it's, it's a like labor it's paying, of give back. It's going to be paying dividends the rest of your life, it seems to me. Well, it's got them coming back I don't around. For that. Well, I know, I, but that's, well, the, that's the payoff you get. So get used to it. Sounds like they keep on coming around. They do. And I'm gr I'm happy to see them. Yeah. I had a couple of Native American kids and there's that Native American act. So they these kids could not be adopted because they really push in that these days to get them adopted. Um, somebody's figured out that these moving of 20,000 homes. My Mr. H had been in 30 by the time I got him. Oh boy. My Miss K, the one I adopted, mm -hmm. she'd been in 10. And and this one here that I have now has been through five. Yeah, the that doesn't make sense. I don't know what. Yeah. Well, we need to probably close this down. Yes, um, this has been wonderful, um, wonderful conversation. I I think I learned more about foster care than I than I knew, which is really good. And I think that it needs to be something that's a little more present in people's minds. That kinder. Uh, that that there's a lot of lot of this out there that a lot of what you're seeing on the side of the roads and, and, and homelessness is foster care and that there mm -hmm. that's there's, there might just be a simple link to the system that's broke there and that needs a little more resetting. And so, you know, I would agree. And of course, really, if we could just get more love out there, right. I mean, bottom line. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, Lori, for, uh, doing the show with me today um i would encourage you to uh love yourself and love your others um and in this case looks like loving somebody else's others is also a thing that we need to do um and so those of you who have the energy will and the resources to be able to help others um please step on up i believe there are great needs in our society for people to take care of the um lost and unwanted children that are out there so thank you thank you Gary. you have a, be a, a blessed day you too